Good morning. Welcome this morning, and thank you all for having me to preach God's Word to you. As Dan said, my name is Rusty Mackey. You're not the first, and you won't be the last who gets it wrong. Uh, We can blame my family for that. My name is Rusty Mackey, and I'm the founder of a ministry called Steadfast Ministries, and that ministry exists to help leaders survive and thrive in ministry. And the way that I believe that happens is when leaders can stay grounded in Christ to lead with confidence and clarity. The clarity of knowing what to do, the confidence to actually do it, that only comes when we're close enough to our good shepherd to hear his voice and to follow him. And part of the privilege of my work is from time to time, I'll travel to churches over the weekend and I'll work with church staffs. And those churches often will invite me to preach on Sunday morning. And that's an incredible honor to be entrusted with preaching God's word to God's people. I feel so grateful and honored by that. I say that to say that today is a double honor because my family and I have come to call Cross Point home and we've come to love this church. So thank you to Jamie. Thank you, Dan, for entrusting me with preaching God's word to the Cross Point family. Now, speaking of preaching, I get a gem of a passage today. I get to preach Psalm 23 to you all. On the one hand, it's a really easy passage to prepare for and preach because it's Psalm 23 and it's really popular. On the other hand, it's a really challenging passage to preach because it's Psalm 23 and it's a really popular passage. Just out of curiosity, no shame at all if you don't raise your hand on this question, but just out of curiosity, how many of you at some point in your life, you've either memorized or you've spent a decent amount of time thinking about Psalm 23? That's you, go ahead and raise your hand. All right, like decent amount of you, right? I totally expected that. So what can I say about Psalm 23? that you haven't heard or thought about before. Well, what I want to do to begin with with this psalm is not just speak to your intellect. And before we get to the facts of this psalm, before we speak to the intellect, I want to speak to your imagination. So this might be a little different for you. And if you've never done anything like this, just just trust me, hang with me. We're going to experience Psalm 23 in our imaginations. So whatever allows you to really imagine as I lead you through this practice, whatever helps you do that, and maybe closing your eyes, if you're uncomfortable closing your eyes, that's okay. You can stare at the floor, stare at the ceiling, but go ahead and take a posture where you can really begin to imagine as I lead you through Psalm 23. Taking some deep breaths, I want you to imagine that you are a sheep. You might be a small lamb. You might be a large, massive sheep. You might have short, sheared wool. You might be really big and fluffy. Just get in your imagination what kind of sheep you are. Imagine that you're in a field and you look and there comes Jesus, your good shepherd walking towards you. You see warmth and love in his eyes and you see him smiling as he sees you. He walks up to you and he buries his hands in your wool He ruffles your head and placing your head in his hands, he gets down and looking you in the eyes, he asks, will you follow 
me. And you say, yes, Lord, I will follow. Jesus leads you into the greenest pastures you have ever seen in your life. And there beside the pastures is this still cool water. You look at Jesus as if asking permission. You're getting excited now. And Jesus laughs and says, go ahead, enjoy yourself. Jesus sits down and you begin to feast on this grass and it's the best tasting thing you've ever had in your life. Jesus smiles. In your imagination, while you're there, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What body sensations are you having? After eating too, feeling stuffed, you look at the water and Jesus waves you on and you go and you bury your nuzzle in that cool, refreshing water and you drink and you drink and you drink and you're refreshed. What's it like to be in the green pastures with your shepherd? You walk back over to Jesus and he ruffles your head again. And again, placing your head in his hands, he looks you in the eyes and says, will you follow me? And you say, yes, Lord, I will follow. Leading you away from the green pastures, Jesus takes you to a deep, dark wood. And you think, surely we're not going in there. You feel fear beginning to rise up in you and Leaning against your shepherd's leg, you walk into that deep, dark wood. And the first thing you notice is that you are surrounded by wolves and lions and bears who would want nothing more than to harm you. You get to the center of this dark wood and it's so dark you can barely see now. And rather than continuing to walk, Jesus stops and he plops down on the ground. He invites you to lay down and he starts to unpack a picnic of your favorite foods. And with a smile and all the comfort in the world, Jesus says, eat, enjoy. You do your best to eat and enjoy surrounded by your enemies. What do you think? What do you feel in that deep, dark wood? Finally, you finish eating and Jesus puts your head in his hands again. And with a big smile, he says, will you follow me? And you say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. He leads you out of that deep, dark wood. The closer you get to the edge of the forest, the brighter it gets. And finally you break through the clearing and it's a wide open field. And you're so excited to be out of that forest that you take off running. Before you know it, you start chasing a butterfly and then you start eating a patch of grass here and a patch of grass there. And you turn and look and you have run away from your shepherd by accident. Panic starts to rise and it is almost transforming into terror. And you look over the hill and there is Jesus running to you. He wraps you in his arms. He picks you up. You feel his heartbeat and he carries you to the top of a hill with this beautiful, huge oak tree. And sitting under the tree with him, you lay your head on his leg and you're so tired from all the eating and all of the fear and all of the day, and you begin to fall asleep, safe and secure with your good shepherd. And as you drift off, you notice that you're not alone, but the entire flock of God is there around you, safe and secure with the shepherd. You may open your eyes. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever done an imaginative exercise like that with scriptures before. If you would raise your hand. All right, just a handful. Also what I expected. 
Here's why I started us with that today. It's so easy to start speaking to our minds and our intellects about Psalms like Psalm 23, but I wanted to give you an experience of it because often in life we can have knowledge about God and our experience of God can be different. So I wanted to give you a point of reference so that as we go throughout and look at the qualities of a good shepherd, you'll be able to reference back and say, I know that my good shepherd is like this, yet in my imagination, I felt the opposite. It's really natural for us as people to believe and know that God is a good shepherd and we should press into believing and knowing. But at times in our lives, can't we feel like he's a neglectful shepherd? Like maybe he's a little farther away than he says he is. So today we are going to, Lord willing, know and experience the qualities of good shepherd. The first quality we find in verses one to three, and that is that a good shepherd provides. Go ahead and turn with me. The scriptures will be up on the screen as well. Let's see how the good shepherd provides. Psalm 23, verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't know about you, but I read that first verse and it just warms my heart. I'm just like, yes, I know that's true. I know it's true. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, as much as that first verse warms my soul, if you're anything like me, I also read that first verse and I think, I hear you, Jesus. You're my shepherd, I shall not want, but I got plenty of wants in my life. (laughs) And even beyond that, I have some needs. There are some things I'm praying for and you are not providing those needs yet. And I'm in limbo waiting for them. So how do we reconcile Psalm 23 verse one with our lived experience? I believe verse three is starting to get at how we reconcile the Psalm with our reality. He restores my soul. So even in the moments where we have desires, where we have needs and we're praying and we're waiting and we're in that place of limbo with Jesus, we know and we trust from the scriptures that God in that space of need, he is conforming us more to the image of his son, Jesus. In the good seasons and the hard seasons and the peaks and the valleys, God is using it all to make us look more like Jesus. And in that way, our souls are being restored. In that way, our deepest and greatest desire, which is to know Jesus and become like him, that is happening. So we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Because Jesus is enough. I think it's helpful for us to start there. I also don't think that's the point of these first three verses. (laughs) I think these first three verses are communicating to us what it looks like to be in a season of plenty, a season of abundance. And we've all had moments, no matter how fleeting those are, where we look at our lives and we recognize God has provided my needs. We have this sense of all is right in the world. We have this sense of I'm at peace, even if my circumstances are difficult. In moments, in seasons of plenty and abundance, however, we have two temptations as people. The first temptation is amnesia, and the second temptation is anxiety. 
So for some, when you're in a season of abundance and plenty and all seems right in the world, what's the temptation? You forget about your good shepherd. You're just so enjoying the green pastures and the still waters that you're fixated on that and you don't let those gifts direct you to the giver. You forget about your shepherd until the bottom falls out and then you go back, right? Anybody ever been there before? I know I have. (laughs) The other temptation for some others in the room is not amnesia, but it's actually anxiety. So you're in a season of abundance. You're in a season of plenty and yet you can't enjoy the plenty because you're wondering, when is the bottom going to fall out? (laughs) Yes, I have my daily bread and provision and finances for today. But Lord, what about three months from now? What about six months from now? Yes, all my relationships are good and we're at peace right now, but oh Lord, when's the other shoe gonna drop? So for those folks, that extreme is you have the good gift, but you can't enjoy it because you're so busy worrying about a catastrophic future. What's the answer for both of those temptations? Well, the answer is found in the text. It's to meditate on, remember to think about your good shepherd. To say, yes, Lord, it's a good moment. Thank you. To let the green pastures lead you to praise that you are with gratitude turning all of your enjoyment into worship. That's the invitation from these first three verses. So if you're prone to forget about God, if you're prone to be anxious, even when by all of your circumstances, you shouldn't be. It's not about focusing on the gifts. It's about focusing on the giver. The second quality of a good shepherd that we see is in verses four to five. So Jesus is not only asking, will you follow me in the season of plenty? We find in verses four to five, he's asking, will you follow me in the season of scarcity? So check it out with me. We see here that a good shepherd protects. Starting in verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That sounds nice, doesn't it? (laughs) There's so many moments in my life where I'm in the valley of the shadow of death and I'm pretty scared, but I want this. How do we get it? Look at what it says. I will fear no evil for or because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So there are moments of life, historically throughout the church, folks have called these desert seasons, wilderness seasons, valley seasons. There are these seasons where we are not in plenty, we're in scarcity. Maybe it's financial, provisional scarcity. Maybe it's relational scarcity. Maybe it's mental health, emotional scarcity, but we're struggling. And we're asking, God, what's going on? What are you doing? We feel disoriented. And in those seasons, we have two temptations as well. The first temptation, one extreme is that you can become a cheerleader. And the other extreme and temptation is you can become a catastrophizer. So the cheerleader experiences difficulties and maybe you know someone like this, and they become really overly ideal and hyper-optimistic. And they say things like, oh, your dog died. I'm so sorry. You want to go get a puppy? Or they say, oh, you lost your job. That's terrible. 
but look at all the opportunities you have before you now. So the cheerleader, they're so focused on the future hope of things getting better that they completely ignore the pain of loss. They ignore the fact that, hey, we're in a deep, dark valley right now. On the other side, the other temptation is catastrophizers. Again, you may know someone like this. So that person, you know, their dog dies. And rather than thinking this will feel better at some point in their life, they're like, I will never find another dog like Fluffy. Never in my life will I ever find a best friend like that. Or they think to themselves, oh man, we had a a car problem. It took a hit on our budget. It's a really tight and lean month. And that means two months from now, we're not going to be able to pay our bills. And then before long, we're going to be homeless. And then there's going to be no one around us who will come and help us. And we're all alone and the sky is falling. Do you know anybody like that? No one's choosing to look at anyone else in the room right now. They don't want to incur their catastrophic wrath. (laughs) So we can catastrophize on the one hand, we can be cheerleaders on the other hand. And if the cheerleader is so focused on a future hope that they miss the pain in the moment, the catastrophizer gets so bogged down in the pain in the moment that they lose the fact that, hey, we can mourn as those who have hope because we have Christ, right? And so in both of these, what's needed? Well, the text gives us the answer to remember that our good shepherd is with us. The cheerleader needs to say, no, I need to stay here in the valley with Jesus. The catastrophizer needs to say, no, I I need to stay here in the valley, but with some hope because Jesus is with me. So Jesus comes and he says to those in the valley, will you follow me? I think this part of this passage is the hardest because I believe we as people really value comfort more than we should. I know I do at least. We have three kids under 10, and that means our house is full of joy and laughter and tears. And it's just, there's a lot going on in our house. And I've begun noticing this in myself over the past few weeks, where when my kids get chaotic, I'm like trying to calm them down really fast. And that's a good goal. It's good to help them learn how to self-regulate and calm down. However, It's not for their good necessarily. It's because I'm uncomfortable and I'm like, hey, why don't you get calm so that I can feel calm? Scotty Smith is a pastor up in Nashville, Tennessee, and he has the most beautiful phrase that he says from time to time. He's a pastor of pastors. And Scotty says this. He says that until your cry for a restored heart is louder than your cry for relief, you will not change. Until your cry to the Lord for a restored heart is louder than your cry to the Lord for relief, you will not change. We love our comfort, don't we? But are we willing to stay with Jesus? That's what this psalm puts before us. Uh, Thinking back on Moses in the book of Exodus, you all remember in Exodus chapter 32, they come to Mount Sinai, Moses goes up to receive the law from God. And he's up there for a really long time. And the people begin to get anxious. They're like, oh no, where'd Moses go? Is God still there? They don't sense God is with them. So what do they do? In their anxiety, they create a golden calf. They attribute to that golden calf, the attributes of God and the works of God. 
They say, this is the God that brought us up out of Egypt. And then Moses, God tells Moses, Moses comes down, they deal with all of that. That's the whole thing that you can read about in Exodus 32. And then in Exodus 33, Moses goes back up to the mountain to talk to God. And do you remember the exchange between them? God says to Moses, after some intercession on Moses' part, God says, I will not destroy this people, but here's what I'll do. I'm going to send you all into the promised land. And I'm even going to send an angel with you to protect you on your way, but I won't go with you. I'm staying here. And do you remember what Moses said to God? Moses said, oh Lord, don't do that. (laughs) Don't send us away from your presence, Lord. Your presence is life to us. It's how all the nations will know that we're your people. Don't do that, God. And Moses then says the most beautiful, shocking phrase, at least to me, he says, God, we would rather stay here in this desert with you than go ahead to a promised land without you. So cross point, what about you? Will you say to Jesus, Lord, I'll stay with you in this moment of difficulty, even though I want nothing more than to be done with it. I will stay with you, Jesus, and I will refuse to run ahead of you into comfort. Why? Because Jesus, you're my good shepherd. Your rod and your staff comfort me. There's no true comfort in the promised land without Jesus. So we learn from this passage that comfort is not the absence of pain and difficulty. Comfort is the presence of Christ with you in your difficulties. Jesus looks at you and says, I am with you. Will you follow me? The third quality of a good shepherd that we see here is that he pursues. Look at verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's another one of those verses that just gets me. It warms my heart. I'm like, yes, it's true. I want that. I long for that. And this longing to be pursued, it's a pretty human longing. All of you in this room, you want to be pursued. That's not wrong. To want to be wanted is not wrong in and of itself. It's actually just pretty human. So you may be here and in a relationship where you're just longing for your significant other to pursue you more. Feel lonely in your relationship or or perhaps you have friends that you once were so close with and life circumstances have taken you apart and you just wish that they would engage more. You feel like you're the one who's always engaging in relationships with other people and you just wish that others would pursue you. Or maybe at your work, you are working so hard and you just want your boss or your coworkers to say, you add a lot of value here. I'm gonna come alongside you. I'm gonna help you become the best version of yourself here. Maybe like me, you've, are in a season with a lot of young kids and they have a lot of needs. And by the end of the day, you're just so exhausted (laughs) and you just wish others would pursue you and you feel like you're getting trapped in this little bubble of your own micro family. It's very human to want to be pursued. And here's the good news from this passage today. God pursues you. (laughs) Look at verse six again. Surely it starts out. You can think of the word, you can have confidence on this. This is a certainty. This is a fact. 
goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That word for mercy in the ESV, the, the word is it's kind of odd that they actually translate it as mercy here because most often that Hebrew word is translated as steadfast love. God's steadfast love, one of the qualities of God that is, that is described and named the most consistently throughout the Old Testament. That Hebrew word, it has this idea behind it of a never-ending, unstopping, chase-you-down, tackle-you kind of love. (laughs) And we see that even in the surrounding context here, that this love that never ends will follow you, will chase you down all the days of your life. Your good shepherd loves you and pursues you. This is what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 18, verse 12, when he talks about how a good shepherd, he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. Think of one poor sheep that's separated from the protection of the flock, separated from the protection of the good shepherd out there in the wild with all kinds of dangers. And then imagine a shepherd just running after that sheep. There's such beauty in this imagery. And Jesus is telling us that if he pursued you when you were his enemy and made you his child, how much more, how much more does he pursue you now? We know that, but we can struggle to experience it. This goes back to that exercise at the beginning. Often, if we can use our imagination in passages of scripture with these beautiful truths, especially ones that tell us about who God is and what he's like in relationship to us, having moments of imagining that can allow us to actually feel the truth and experience the truth, which then drives the truth deeper into our left brain. It becomes more of a confidence, more of a fact for us. Friends, God pursues you. Did you notice the shift in the language here in the psalm? Did anybody notice it? So verses one to three, we have this good shepherd imagery, which I've been staying with up until this point. But there in verse five, it actually shifts. And it says, you set a table before me. Now you can think of the good shepherd as setting that table, but David's actually shifting from shepherd imagery to temple imagery or tabernacle imagery. You see also there in verse six, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there's more tabernacle imagery. So in the tabernacle, they had the table of the presence and the priest would set out the bread of the presence and it would stay there every day as a reminder to the people that your God is among you and that his presence is what gives you life. He's your sustenance. He's your joy. And so David here is shifting this language to show us how much God pursues us, how much God longs to be with us as his people. Now, that's heartwarming. Yet if we fast forward to the New Testament and think of this as New Testament Christians, it gets even more radical. Because we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we as the church don't go to a temple, but we are the temple. (laughs) That God has sent his spirit to dwell in his church collectively and in Christians individually. Think about that. 
God was not satisfied to just be with you. That wasn't enough for God. God wouldn't be satisfied until he took up residence in you. That's how much God loves you. We could put it this way. God not only loves you, but did you know that God likes you? God created you as a unique individual, his masterpiece, as we sang about. And he enjoys you with all of your weird idiosyncrasies. <laughs> when you imagine yourself with the good shepherd earlier when we were doing that, was it easier or was it hard for you to imagine him smiling at you? Jim Wilder is an author and he talks about joy as the experience of being with someone who enjoys being with you. I really like that definition of joy. It, it takes it away from joy and experiences, joy and things, right? And it makes the joy relational. Joy is the experience of being with someone who enjoys being with you. Did you know that God enjoys being with you and he pursues you and he's just a moment's attention away from you enjoying him, enjoying you. As we begin to wrap up here today and in all of these ways, the Lord is asking, will you follow me? And in all of these ways, the Lord's reminding you that I'm with you. I'm here. I have found it is really amazing when I experience moments where all three of these qualities of the Good Shepherd come together at one time. Often for me, that's been in those seasons that feel like desert seasons, where I experience God's provision, his protection, and his pursuit. As I was thinking through a story to share of a time where I experienced that, I was reminded of a time I was in an actual desert. So back in 2019, my three best friends and I, we have for about the past eight years, we've done a monthly Zoom call and we're committed to being friends for the rest of our life together. We try to do a yearly trip. We don't always get to it. Sometimes we do. Anyway, back in 2019, we won the lottery. Not the lottery you're probably thinking of. We won the lottery for the Grand Canyon National Park to hike into the canyon and to camp in the canyon. It's a big deal like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people sign up every year and they only do a small percentage because they can't have too many people in the canyon. So we started preparing for this trip. We spent five days and four nights in the Grand Canyon. We hiked the rim to rim to rim. It was really intense. It was really amazing. I want to go back so badly. Part of the preparation though was the, the folks in the Grand Canyon on the website, the rangers, they do a good job of scaring you to death to go into the Grand Canyon. I mean, they're constantly like drilling deep. Do not go in the canyon unless you're prepared. You will die. We will not make it to you in time. This is a desert environment. I mean, they lay it on like thick to the point where I was pretty nervous when we went in the first day, even though we all prepared really well. Fast forwarding, fourth day, we're hiking. We've been having a great trip. We started early at 4 a.m. to beat the heat. And many, many hours later, many, many miles later, at about 11 a.m., one of my dear friends started showing early signs of dehydration and some pretty bad ones at that. It was starting to get really serious. And all of a sudden, everything changed for us in that moment. Here's what deserts will do. Literal deserts, and figurative deserts. They do two things for us. One, they fixate your attention on what's essential. And two, they 
give us a holy indifference to everything else. So in that moment when my friend was in danger, my other three friends and myself, all of our attention became fixated on helping our friend. And any other secondary goals like meeting our hiking goal for the day or looking good while we did it or having good conversations, all that stopped immediately. And we were like, all right, we need to find shade. We need to find water now. And we're in a desert. So we're looking, we're praying, and we see this little grove of trees. We're like, "Ah, there's not water there, but there's shade. We go off the trail. We get to this little grove and lo and behold, there's this little stream right there. And we all sit, take off our shoes, put our feet in the water, start to cool off, filter some water for my friend, start getting him some food. And we spend about two and a half, almost three hours in that little oasis in the middle of the desert. And never in my life (laughs) have I felt the Lord's provision, protection, and pursuit the way I did in that grove of trees. We experienced his provision of shade and water. We experienced his protection from the elements. And as we sat there and mused together, we thought, isn't it amazing that before the foundation of the world, God knew that we would need this space and he created it to meet our friend's need. We felt so pursued, so loved, so cared for. And as we experienced all three of those qualities of our good shepherd, a transition happened. We went from incredibly anxious and scared to incredibly joyful and laughing. Friends, when you experience the qualities of your good shepherd, you know them, you believe them, but you also experience them. That he provides, he protects, he pursues. When you know your good shepherd in that way, your anxiety and your fear will melt away to joy and laughter. And isn't that the kind of church we want to be? One that where our neighbors look at us and interact with us and they say, the world is falling apart (laughs) and you're happy. (laughs) You laugh a lot. How do you do that? And then you can say, let me tell you about a really good shepherd. He's how I can do that. Friends, may you experience your good shepherd. And when he asks if you will follow him, may you say, yes, Lord, I will follow. And may all of your anxieties turn to joy in his presence. Pray with me. Jesus, you are faithful to us in ways that we often miss and struggle to comprehend. God, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear how you are providing, protecting, and pursuing us. I pray, Lord, as I've prayed all week, that even this morning we would experience your provision, protection, and pursuit. And Lord, would we really press into knowing you for who you are, setting aside all of the lies that we can believe, feeling like you're distant or that you don't care. Would we, Lord, just settle that once and for all and move into a space of deep confidence, knowing that you care and that you're for us. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.